0: Good morning, everyone. Um, The reading today is from Romans 12, verses 3 through to 21. Okay, gifts of grace. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer.
1: Awesome. Good morning everyone. How are you all doing? Good? My name is Joel. Um, my privilege to be able to lead us this morning as we explore this passage together and um, it's a good morning, is it not? If any of you kept up with the news last night, Man United beat Liverpool, all is well in the world. So I had to mention it, Shane and Keithy, sorry, I had to, had to do it. No, it's, um, it's great to have you here at One Hope and um, we've been exploring over the last few uh, weeks this idea of maturing disciples and becoming mature disciples and what that looks like for us as a church as we go through this year and uh, particularly in the last few weeks we've been focusing on this, uh, the particular trait of being part of the church family and what does that, what does that mean for us and we looked at... Um, This idea of the family tree. Uh, A few weeks ago we looked at um, how we are called into this eternal, global, historical, massive family tree that we are now a part of through Christ and looked at the sacrifice um, that's needed to live in this family. And um, last week we looked at, I guess, the celebration of family. The development of family, the, the responsibility of giving towards that family and the joy of being in that family. And then this week, we're going to be looking at, I guess, practically what it looks like for us to be a unique family. What makes this family, this community of Christians, what makes that different from any other community in the world that we see? So that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, and we're going to be looking at the book of Romans so a quick context, um, I won't dive into these too much, but basically Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome where he calls them um, people who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. So right at the start of the letter, Paul is sort of calling the Christians out to say, you know what, you live in this massive city, the capital of the empire, and you are called to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. So that becomes a big theme throughout Paul, when he, particularly when he gets to chapter 12 and starts talking about some of the um, practical implications for living with Christ. Um, but there's also a couple other things that he's writing towards. Uh, in Romans 15 he talks about um, the Gentiles and there's this division seemingly between the Jews and the Gentiles and so he's writing to address that. How do these guys be a family when so much of their world view has been that we're not family? And so he's writing to address a lot of that. And also to address, um, in chapter 16, he talks about that there's people corrupting the gospel, there's people attacking the gospel, and there's persecution. And so what does it look like for the Christians to stand firm in that? And so Paul goes to large lengths to outline the theology of the gospel. If you've read through Romans, I mean, the Reformers talk about it as the jewel of Paul's letters. It's like the, the focus one because, because it's so, I guess, vast and broad in what it covers in terms of its, its theological concepts, looking at sin, at grace, at redemption, the Holy Spirit. I mean, we often talk about the Romans road, you know, people talk about that in evangelism, that they take people through Romans because it s- steps out in a clear way, the gospel and everything to do with Christianity. It's one of the Most robust writings of Paul and his theology. Yet when we get to chapter 12, it all sort of shifts gears. He spends 11 chapters unpacking theology. It's really like you read it and you sort of have to read it a few times to try and get what he's saying. And then in chapter 12, it all shifts. And in verse 1, it says, Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And it's really important that we get this before we get to the passage that we read, because what Paul's saying there is, because of these last 11 chapters, because of the mercy of God, which I've spent 11 chapters outlining and unpacking, therefore, in view of that, this is how you should live. And it's a sacrifice and it's an act of worship. And we need to remind ourselves again and again that our discipleship journey, our, our church family, our growth, our transformation into mature disciples, that all of that is not something just to please people. Or it's not just something so that we look good. Or it's not just something that, you know, we might improve as people or that we might, you know, just become who we're meant to be, but first and foremost, that this journey is one of worship. And when we lose sight of that, we lose sight of the whole gospel and what we're called to be as Christians. And so I think it's a really important reminder, particularly as today we look at some really practical tips of Paul, we need to remind ourselves that actually what we're talking about here is how we are as a family, worshipping God in response to what he's done as we love and live together. So it's really important that we see that right at the start. That's an act of worship because what God has done. And the way, one of the ways that we never lose sight of this is to hear what Paul says in verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, that God has done. Essentially, Paul writes that the way that we keep worship central is to be humble in ourselves. Because here's the thing, when we start becoming mature disciples and we start improving, we start looking good, we start becoming better Christians, the natural human tendency in us is look at me. Yeah? Like, you think at any sphere in life where, where you improve and where you grow, if you become better at something... The natural tendency within us is go, look at me. We put a picture on Instagram, we show it off, we go, look at this new skill I've got. And everything in us is go, look at look at us, look at how we're hard we've worked to improve. And so often that can come into our faith as well. That we're improving, we're growing, and therefore there's something inside of us that goes, Oh, I really wish they notice, I really wish they look. But instead, For us as Christians, it's the opposite. Instead of pointing to us, we want our growth and our our journey to point to God and to what He's done. That's our act of worship. And so we need to, like Paul says, think with sober judgment. Be humble in ourselves, recognizing that we're broken, that we're sinful, and that God alone is the source of our salvation and sanctification. God doesn't just save us, but he also changes us. He doesn't just sort of save us, die on the cross, and then say, okay, you figure it out from here. No, God is the God. He's the one that's in the power throughout our whole discipleship journey. And this, like Paul says, it, you know we're going to go through each of these verses, and this is what Paul says, it takes a measure of faith. It takes a measure of faith to actually believe that God empowers and that our identity our salvation our sanctification that that's actually based on God's power not my own like that's a that's a claim and a statement of faith to go you know what God's going to empower this not me there's still a role for us to play don't get us don't get me wrong but the idea is this we don't initiate the play it's not on our own we don't rely on our own strength and we don't receive the glory instead we walk humbly with our God. That is the call of Paul here, to be humble in what you think of yourself and recognize that for us, as we're talking about church family, that humility is very much the basis of church family. It's thinking less of yourself and more of the other people within your family, considering others first. And, and humility is like very much linked to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in terms of sacrifice, This is what Philippians 2 says about Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by coming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That Humility is the basis of family because humility is linked directly to sacrifice. That if we think less of ourselves, we're actually more likely to lay down our lives for the people around us. And that is what family is all about. And from there, it leads into the next part where humility is, okay, is being okay when we have different roles and functions within the family. Which is where Paul goes in in verse 4 to 8. Talking about, like Scott talked about before, that we have different roles and different functions. We need to be reminded of that, that we actually, you know what, we don't all have the same role and the same function in this family. Some of us are going to see, some of us are going to hear, some of us, you know, we've all got the different states. You know, we're not all going to play drums like Nathaniel. Played very nicely this morning, by the way. You know, we're not all going to be super creative and have... Super neat handwriting, like Phil. If you've seen the Cavell Corner window, looks top notch. You know, we're not all going to care for people like the people in our care team, like Lynette and Megan. We're not all going to be able to organise an event like my dad, or we're not all going to be able to fix computers like Simon and Paul, or do you, like we're not all going to have the same role and same function. We all have different roles. We all have different functions. Yet we one body. I think that for us is is the key to recognise. You know what we're doing these different things, but we need to consistently look to see that actually we're part of one body. We're working towards one vision, one purpose, one God. Now I remember in my early days here um, serving breakfast club. If you um, I was like I was still so I was like just turned twenty or something and. I wasn't very good at talking to people and, like, particularly initiating conversation. And so we was in the kitchen here, and um, I'll be trying to, I will like, sort of awkwardly try and talk to people. And then John Chambers was the complete opposite. Like, you saw him in Breakfast Club, and he was like in his element. Like, he could create a conversation with any student, and you'd just be like, "How does he do that?" And straight away, my initial thought was, "I can't do this." And straight away, I was like, I can't, like, I'm not meant to be a breakfast club person. But what I began to realise, that actually, you know what, there's one goal, one purpose, we're here to serve the kids, and if John can chat, well, then maybe I can just make the toast, and I make a mean golden brown toast now. <laughs> but, you know, I thought, thought, you know, I can just, if I can work around in the background and make sure everything happens smoothly and runs, and then he can be released to talk to students, and then actually it's starting to work how it should, starting to work better. See, if we're forever focusing on the gifts that we don't have or the role or the function that we don't have, we're going to miss the gifts and the roles and the functions that we do. Because so often that's the case, particularly I think in our day and age, where we go, you know what, I can't do that as well as that person or I can't do this as well as this person and therefore I'm just not going to do it. But actually, what if we began to recognize that, you know what, I do have a role and I do have a function and it's going to be different from that person, yet it's needed because we're one body working together for one cause and for one purpose. And, you know, as a church, I think we need to do better at recognising different gifts and different abilities, not just recognising the people at the front who do stuff or, you know, and that's part of the reason why, you know, we've been highlighting different ministries. Scott did that again. This morning that there's people serving doing great things that so often we don't hear about and we don't know about and we need to do better at recognizing that but on the flip side we also need to be better at actually being humble enough to recognize this isn't about me and if I don't receive glory if I don't receive the spotlight that that's okay because this is a living sacrifice and a spiritual act of worship a daily choice to respond to what God has done for us and then in verse six, not only do we have different gifts and functions, but Paul writes that having gifts according to the grace given to us, let us use them." Now Paul's not just writing to a select few of the Roman church here he's writing to everyone saying, "You've got gifts according to the grace God has given to you, use them." And there are some specific gifts mentioned and there's um, specific instructions for some of those gifts and those gifts aren't even aren't an exhaustive list so don't think, oh my gift's not listed there Paul doesn't care about my gifts you know, the, he doesn't pr- provide anywhere in his letters a m- comprehensive list of the gifts even though he uh, does mention them a few times but the general rule is this what Paul is saying if you have a gift, use it if you have a gift, use it The body needs it. You know, I don't think it's by accident that God has called this group of people here to be part of the family. You know, if we really believe in what we believe in terms of our theology and that God has chosen us, then we've also got to believe that, okay, God has assembled this group of people, this family here at One Hope for a purpose and a reason, and I'm not just here to make up the numbers. That God has called you here to be part of this family, to use your gifts for a reason, for a purpose. The body of Christ needs the gifts that God has given you. Not only that, but your life of worship requires it. How can we worship God and withhold one of the gifts that He's given us and not use it for His glory? Like It just it doesn't make sense. So if God has gifted you, let us use our gifts to worship Him, to advance His kingdom, and to serve his family. We all have different gifts, different functions. I want to encourage you, if you're not using your gifts, to find out a way how you can. Come and chat to me or someone in leadership and say, hey, I've got this gift and it's not being used, how can we use it? And we'll figure it out. And if we can't figure it out, we'll talk to Johan because he's very good at finding things for people to do with gifts. In a good way, in a good way. And then Paul transitions from gifts and he starts talking about love. And this is where we're going to really get into it. Verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And essentially, this verse acts like a summary verse and the rest of the verses then link back to it. So this is a summary of saying, okay, here's the general call for you. Love, genuinely. For what is evil, hold fast what is good. And then he lists the next sort of 10 verses that are all sort of practical tips of what that looks like. So we're going to look into that, each one, and see how we go. But firstly, let's look at love. Paul uses the word, let love be genuine. And the lo- word for love is agape. It's one of the four Greek words. Many of you have been around churches. You would have heard around this. The word for love is agape. Agape, and it means sort of divine love, unconditional love, covenantal love. And what I love about this word as I was sort of reading through some stuff this week is that it's a unique word. It's, it's a special word. I don't know if you realize this, but um, it's a word not used a whole lot outside of the New Testament. Um, I was reading commentary by Colin Cruz, who was one of my lecturers, and um, uh, I've got the quote there, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'll explain it as we go. So the word Paul uses here for love is agape, is relatively rare in the non-biblical Greek literature. So the other writings of the time, it's a rare word. And it only occurs 19 times in the LXX, which is the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So saying it's relatively rare in the Greek writings of the time. It's only used 19 times in the Old Testament. And yet, in the books of Paul, it's used a remarkable 75 times. Early Christians very possibly took up this otherwise rare word to express the distinctive nature of the love they had come to experience as recipients of God's grace and the quality of love that they were to show one another. And I just love that idea that, you know, the early Christians, they sort of thought, you know what, the love that we have received from God and the love that therefore we're called to show one another, it is so distinct, so unique, that we need to sort of use a bit of a new word here. That these other words don't quite measure up to what God has done and how we're supposed to love one another. That the distinctive nature of the love of the church, that the love of this church family, of the church family, is to be unique because the love of the Father is unique that because what god has done is so great that how could our love just be like everyone else's in john 13 jesus says a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you are to also love one another and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another if you're not sure what jesus is saying there he's saying love one another it says it three times, that we're called, in fact, we're even commanded by Jesus to love one another just as He has loved us. That there's meant to be, you know, a clear similarity between God's love for us and our love for one another. You know, and we sing about it every week, how great God's love is, how amazing it is, how vast and how wide How strong, how deep the Father's love for us. Would we say the same thing about our love for one another? That it's great, that it's vast, and that it knows no boundaries. See, that is the love that Jesus commands us to show to each other. And that is the love that the world will take notice of. That is the love that people go, hey, wait, they must be disciples of Christ. There's something different about them. So Paul writes to the Romans to have this genuine, distinct, unique love. A genuine love. Even just the word genuine. I, I don't think it's a fake it till you make it kind of thing. I don't think we fake it till we make it. Here's what I... Let's see if this flies. Seek above until you love. Instead of fake it until you make it, seek above until you love. See, so it's not something that we just pretend to do, and hope that one day, once we spend enough time to, with each other, we'll sort of like each other enough that we can actually show a bit of love to each other. It's not this sense of we fake it until we make it, but it's a sense that actually, you know what, love isn't something that we just muster up out of nowhere and hope that we do really well. No, it's something that we reflect. It's something that, you know, we seek God and we, we receive His love, therefore we can give His love. Just as I have loved you, so love one another. So as we receive God's love, then we give God's love. You know, if you struggle, like me, let's be honest, if you struggle to love people within the church family, like sure, listen to the practical advice that we're going to go through. Listen to what Paul says. Step out of your comfort zone. Be humble. Be vulnerable. These are all important things. But the most important thing we can do is actually seek God and ask Him to change us. Because as we seek God and as we recognize His love for us, that will soften our hearts. That will change us. As we connect with Him and we recognize just how great His love is, that will be what humbles us and softens us to love one another more and more. So I want to encourage us, seek above until you love. If that sticks as well as fake it till you make it, then that will be great. But that is how we grow in love. By recognizing the amazing love of the Father. Now we're going to dive into these verses, and believe it or not, we're going to go through each one. Don't worry, be quick. So it's like, yeah. Anyway, you can chuckle. (laughs) So, firstly, Paul calls us to love one another with brotherly affection. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about one of my favorite Disney movies growing up as a kid, Lilo and Stitch. Hands up if you've seen Lilo and Stitch. Great movie. So, ohana means family, and family means no one gets left behind or or forgotten. Yeah, I was was thinking like trying to do the voice, but I I can't do it. The Greek word here used for brotherly affection means to tenderly love or be devoted to each other. And so, my question is, is do we see the people around us as our brothers and sisters? Are we devoted to them, you know, so linked to them that making sure that no one gets left behind, no one gets forgotten? This, once again, this is Paul writing to the whole church, that we are to be devoted to one another, that we have brotherly affection for one another. No one gets left behind, no one gets forgotten. And this is written to the whole church, not just to a few people, not just to the leaders, not just to those who are in charge of things. He writes to everyone it's all our responsibility to make sure that we're devoted to one another and making sure no one gets left behind or forgotten. Next, Paul writes that we outdo one another in showing honor. The meaning of honor in this verse is, is, is value. The word literally translates to price. You know, do we value each person around us? And show, do we show them that? Do we share it? Do we say it? Do we sort of recognize their immeasurable price? Does each and every person here feel valued as part of the church family? May we outdo one another. I love that idea, outdoing one another and showing honor, in recognizing the value of each and every person, the role and the function that they play. Next, Paul writes, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. We need to be diligent, not lazy or lacking, but to be fervent. Once again, this word literally means to boil, to be on fire. You know, are we as a church, as individuals, are we on fire, eager to serve God, either eager to serve each other? And the thing about fire is, unless there's an external force, fire dies. Unless there's something from the outside keeping it alive, it'll die off. And I think that is so much the role of a church community, to actually sort of keep the fire alive in each person, keep it boiling, keep it bubbling, keep people going, inspiring one another, encouraging one another to stay fervent for God. Next, Paul writes, to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation I sort of link this with verse fifteen, where it says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep." One of the key aspects of family is riding the waves together—the ups and the downs. You know, last week was a great celebration, but we also realized in the last week there's been great sadness. People within families that have passed away, and how do we do that journey together, where we can celebrate, but we can also mourn, where we can hold both in tension. So we need to ask ourselves, are we celebrating well? Are we suffering well? And we need to do both together. I would encourage you to open up about your struggles, share your life, share your victories, share your celebrations. I'd love to have more testimonies shared from up the front here. More people who actually say, you know what, this is what God is doing in my life. And that would encourage us and we would celebrate that. And on the flip side, it'd be awesome if more and more people say, you know what, this is what I'm struggling with. And we gather around them, we pray, and we support them. Paul writes that we be constant in prayer. You know, We need to look at ourselves and see, is prayer just something that we just do? Is it just the same words that we rattle off? Is it just a transition from one thing to the next? Is it something we just tag along at the end of our life groups because we've sort of gotten busy talking about everything else? We need to be constantly crying out to God in prayer. That is what Paul calls the church family to look like, one of prayer. Next, Paul writes that we co- contribute to the needs of the saints. Once again, are, are we, firstly, are we aware of each other's needs? Are we vulnerable in sharing them? And then, are we ready to step into that? We are called to contrib- contribute, each and every one of us. And here's the thing, here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you hear someone's need, hear that as an opportunity. If someone shares a need with you, I believe that they're sharing an opportunity with you to step in. Even just to pray for them and say, you know what? I'm going to be praying for you this week. Or to send them a text or to send them a meal or something like that. Some way to support them and to contribute to them. And if they share a need, what they're saying is actually kind of, I need some help and step into that. Hear it as an opportunity and go for it. Paul writes, to show hospitality. You know, I would encourage all of us. When's the last time you've had someone over for a meal or for a coffee? or Whether you know them well or not, I would encourage us all. And that this wouldn't just be a Sunday thing, a Sunday morning thing where we go, oh, let's welcome in the new people cause, and show them hospitality. You no, know, this is an ongoing thing of continually showing hospitality to people where they move from strangers to guests to family. Paul writes to live in harmony with one another. I love the idea of that musical word harmony. You know, with all of our different roles, all our different functions, with our different voices, do they actually combine together to make one sweet sound? You know, are you, or are you just playing your own notes? Are you just clashing with other voices? You know, we need to be humble. We need to confront where we need to confront, forgive where we need to forgive and make sure that all of our voices are in harmony. Paul writes, do not be haughty but associate with the lowly, that we don't become proud conceited, vain and arrogant, that we're all equal, brothers and sisters. And we need to ask ourselves, are there people within our family that we distance ourselves from or that we strategically avoid in conversation? There's no one too high, there's no one too low for you within a family. No one gets left behind or forgotten. And then lastly, Paul says to never be wise in your own sight. Once again, it's a call to humility, not to be independent, but to look to each other for our wisdom and for guidance, not to be too proud in our own sight and wisdom. And then Paul writes after... He instructs people to love each other. He says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. It literally means to be glued to what is good and to hate what is evil. You know, the family tree is going to come under attack. This family thing is not going to be easy. And so even more, we need to sort of cling to what is good, hate what is evil and work together as a family to keep moving forward. But recognize that this attack thing, that because we're under attack, doesn't mean we bunker down and we prepare for a siege. But also that we see these attacks as a witness, as an opportunity to witness. That the persecution becomes an opportunity to display Christ to the world in a unique way. You know, just after this letter was written, probably within the next five years. Christians went under some of the most intense persecution in history under the Emperor Nero. They were blamed for a fire that still today people don't know how it started and they were sort of persecuted horrifically. And whether Paul knew that or not, he still writes to them, this is how you should act. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honourable in the sight of all. Live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, leave it to God. Love your enemies, overcome evil with good. In these verses, Paul calls the church to a unique way, not just of love, but also of conduct. That we're to live differently in this world, and that we're to fight differently in this world. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. They were called under attack in this world to fight differently to the world around us, to bless and not to curse, to not seek revenge but to instead overcome evil, by doing good, to love our enemies. It's a totally different way to the world. And Paul's writing to Christians in Rome, you know, has wrestled control of the world through military might and power and oppressing people and yet Paul is saying, you know what, you're going to be different, you're going to be holy, you're going to be set apart. In our conduct, in the way that we fight, but also with our love. And that as we begin to live that, the church family becomes a light into the world. May our love be genuine for each other. May we hate what is evil. May we hold fast to what is good and to what God has called us to. And may this be what defines us as a church family. Because all throughout our world at the moment, particularly in the West, the church family is defined by things very much opposite to this. That they're hypocritical, that they're judgmental, that they're not living it out. But for us here at One Hope, my prayer is that actually these would be the things that define us. A unique sense of love. A unique way of dealing with the world around us. I want to just finish off with one Peter. Chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. So I think this sums it up all really neatly, where it says, Once we were not a people, but through Christ we now are. We are his family. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood with gifts, with roles, and with functions. We're a holy nation. We're set apart from the world around us. We are God's special possession. Loved and adored by him. So that, so that we may declare his praise. We can live a life of worship in response to his mercy and love, which brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That we would truly believe that. You know what? God has brought us out of darkness into a light that is wonderful and marvelous and good. And that is what we want to live in. That once we were not a people, but now we are. We're a church family, unique and different. And we've received mercy. And may we respond to that mercy by living for Jesus. Amen? Let me, um, let me pray for us. Actually, why don't we stand? Let's stand. and um actually i'm going to do something i'm going to give you a moment just to pray yourselves for our church family and even if you're visiting this morning you can think of the church family globally if you like and to think something about the church family and just to pray that yourself because so often prayer is just something that someone up the front does let's all just pray for a moment So God, we, um, we recognize just how far we fall short as your church family. And God, we pray that you'd help us, that your spirit would fill us, help us to love, help us to follow you in every aspect of our lives. And may we as a church family begin to look more and more like the people that you want us to be. And so, God, I pray that you'd open our eyes just to know your love, your mercy, and that we can respond in worship each and every day by the way that we live, the way that we love, and the way that we interact with the world around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.